0: Welcome to another Principle of Hospitality podcast. Thanks so much for listening in. Currently in home in Queensland due to the pandemic, our next guest, Chef Lisa Mead, has spent the last 26 years traveling between Australia, the Mediterranean, and the Caribbean, cooking aboard luxury yachts. Yes, you actually heard me correctly. Whilst on board, Lisa has served up some of her amazing and internationally inspired dishes to royalty, heads of state, and celebrities, which I can't wait to get into in this episode today. Lisa also appears on her very own TV cooking show in the Caribbean, aptly titled Galley Gourmet with Chef Lisa, which has a very successful eight seasons exploring the British Virgin Islands. Let's get into this podcast because I can't wait to hear more stories from Lisa. Hey Lisa, how are you?
1: Hello, thanks for having
0: me. My pleasure. Now, as we were speaking about before the podcast, it's just um, it's just so exciting to talk to so many different people in this industry on this podcast, and today is is honestly very very unique um, because I have never spoken to a chef who works on yachts um, anywhere, let alone the Caribbean and the Mediterranean. Right? So let's let's talk about. Let's talk about that because obviously you've been in the industry for a long time. You come with a lot of experience, um, a lot of stories, a lot of knowledge. Let's get into how you actually started out and how it got to a point where you were working on yachts in the Caribbean.
1: So I was dating an Aussie chef here in Brisbane. Right. And he had got word that there was a gig going back in the British Virgin Islands where he had worked previously before I'd met him. Mm. He was chefing on yachts for a couple of years over there. And it was too good a gig to turn down. So he said to me, hey, Lisa, why don't you just give up everything and follow me over to the other side of the world? <laughs> so I was like, okay, that sounds all right. I had no clue where I was going. I didn't know anything about the British Virgin Islands. Wow. Uh, so it was a big adventure.
0: Yeah, right. How old were you that, at that stage when you decided to do that? Seven. Wow. How exciting. How exciting. Yeah. Cool. It,
1: it was pretty amazing. And then obviously getting over there, um, the plan was just to stick around for a short while, but- We stayed on for another five years together as a couple, and in that time I started to get into the yachting industry and then fell in love with the area and uh, decided to stay. Um, How did I get into it? I was hanging out at the local bar where we were staying. There was this bar (laughs) down at the end of the beach. Of course. I walked in and said, (laughs) looking for um, a chef, a replacement chef, because ours just broke her leg. Uh, right. Is anyone here able to do the gig? <laughs> <laughs> so I stuck my hand up and I said, yep, yeah, I'll do it.
0: <laughs> How many I mean, people were in this bar at the time? Was it a packed <laughs> bar or were you yeah, just right at the right person, right no, time?
1: Right. It was kind of like a local hangout. Oh, okay. It was probably midweek, so it was pretty quiet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How awesome. Some
1: oldie, salty sailors, old guys there that weren't oh. really luxury yacht material. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I had no clue about sailing. I think I'd been on a boat maybe two or three times in my life as just you know a guest on a on a day sail boat. So I had right. no clue about sailing, which mm-hmm. is a very important part of the job. Mm-hmm. So I really had to sort of learn on my feet. It was pretty insane.
0: <laughs> so, how, so how did it how did it come about that you sort of stayed for a long period of time? I mean, obviously, you know that was that was a bit of a time ago. Like what what drove you to really enjoy? being on yachts and, and cooking on yachts?
1: I think it stems from early childhood. I, I moved around a lot as a kid. My father was in the Australian Air Force, so mm-hmm. I was actually born in Southeast Asia in Malaysia. Wow. So I think I was so used to the travel side of things that it, it, I loved that part of the job. Yeah. And it it's not just the same eight days sailing around the same area. we go all over the Caribbean. Um, so it was always a new adventure. And I really just loved meeting people, um, mm. a real people person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just fell in love with the islands and the lifestyle. It was just really addictive. I mean, I, I can't believe it's been, you know, almost 27 years. Yeah,
0: wow. Well, um, explain to a layman like myself, like what what is the lifestyle like in the islands? Because, you know, I've lived where you live right now in Brisbane for uh, five or six years and Brisbane to me Queensland just is you know I'd like to say it's so laid back it's horizontal right and <laughs> and so how to do, how does that compare to like the British Islands and what I'd imagine would be even more of a laid back kind of culture
1: it is it yeah. is it, it it's it, it's more laid back if it can be um <laughs> obviously it's a, it's you know it's it's the Caribbean and that mm. whole lifestyle is about being chilled out and relaxed mm. it's There isn't a lot to do other than water sports, water activities. Um, So if you can't, you know, sort of find avenues in that area, it's probably a a tricky job to be in. Mm -hmm. But in saying that, where I I was based, which is Tortola in the British Virgin Islands, it would take three hours for me to jump on a plane and get to New York City. So... you've got the best of both worlds. You can be floating around in the water, enjoying the islands, and then jumping on a plane, and in three hours you're walking down the street in New York City. Wow.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's such a difference, right? Um, (laughs) What In those sort of early years especially, like what were some of the hardest things about working in a kitchen on a yacht? Like I'm trying to imagine how big, like I'm curious how big these yachts are that you've been working on and what were some of the all, challenges?
1: Yeah, all various sizes. I mean, I started off on the smaller size boat, so probably the smallest boat I ever worked on would have been about, you know, 55 feet. Um, right. The biggest I think I've worked on is about 170 feet. Wow. Um, so obviously the galley is bigger, the bigger the boat is. Um, yeah. yeah, space space is tricky. That, that probably wasn't too much of a problem, just learning how to, keep things um, alive, you know, fresh-wise for the week, how, how things stored the best, mm-hmm. um, how to deal with running out of ingredients and not having any island close by that had a shop on it if you <laughs> ran out of eggs or whatever it might be. And how on earth are you going to do the meal you thought you were planning to do? Yes. Now you've got to change the whole menu. Yes.
0: Um.
1: Yeah. So the, And then obviously weather plays into it. You know, not every day is smooth sailing, no pun intended, you know what I mean? (laughs) It can have some pretty rough conditions sometimes when you're further out in the ocean going between islands. So learning to understand when the best time to prep is Mm. and, you know, basically how to adapt your menu, you know, on the spur of the moment.
0: Yeah. I I, I listened to a podcast the other day with Maggie Beer and I think one of of her first experiences in hospitality was um, on a yacht, as being a cook on a yacht, Oh. And, I, and I, yeah, funnily enough, right? And I remember that she um, she said in the podcast that I think they were supposed to have a larder that was full of food for like two months or something or maybe three months and she got rid of it in half that time, right? And she lost yeah. her job because <laughs> she used all the food, right, and didn't realise the expectation. Like, is, yeah. is, that, yeah. is that probably the biggest challenge when you're actually cooking on a yacht as a comparison to, you know, doing it in a normal kitchen on land?
1: Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, you've really got to understand, I mean, you're going out for generally eight days, seven nights. Right. In the the British Virgin Islands, you're pretty lucky in that there's somewhere that you can go generally to get what you need or you can order a provision and to come over on a fast boat and deliver what you're missing. Mm. But if you're going further down island, say you've got a trip that's from the British Virgin Islands to St Martin, that's like a 14-hour sail or there's longer trips. Yes. Um, you really have to understand every ingredient and how, you know, maybe double up on certain things. Mm. Um, Yeah. Mm. It's it's really intense study of what, what your menu will be.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) And also
1: sometimes the guests get on and, you know, you've spoken to them in advance, you've got all their information, you think you've got it right. And Mm. then all of a sudden, yeah, they remember that they didn't like whatever it was that you planned to do. So now you have to go. Oh crap! Okay, <laughs> fix that. Yeah, so it's it's tricky. How does how does it work?
0: Obviously, you've 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 been doing it for such a long time, Lisa. And like, does it sort of like what I was thinking before the podcast was like being there that amount of time? Is it kind of like being in the hospitality industry, but just on water? In the fact that if you didn't like working for a particular boat, you just go and. Find other employment on another yacht, a bit like someone would leave a restaurant and then go to another restaurant or a cafe or something like that. Is it very much, very much the yeah. same thing?
1: It is. It is. Um, People do move around from boat to boat quite often because it is really intense living. I mean, you're living with multiple crew and guests. Right. And if there's personality issues, it's not going to work because you literally wake up with those people and you go to sleep with those people. (laughs) Yes. And you're in each other's faces in confined space. Yeah. So a little tiny argument could turn into something really big if you're not able to control the situation. Mm. Um, and you're on show twenty four seven. The guests are watching you all the time. So, any any problems that you might have behind the scenes, where there really isn't a behind the scenes, because it's all out in the open, <laughs> you really gotta you know have a poker face. Yeah. Um, for yeah. Sure. So people, yeah, to answer your question, people do move around a fair bit mm-hmm. in the industry.
0: Can you um can you give us one or two really good stories? Because obviously at the start we talked about how you were doing. You know, um dishes for royalty and heads of state and celebrities and stuff like that like is there anything I'm sure there's a lot you can't share but like is there there stuff you actually you can share that would be a really cool story
1: I can I can tell you a story without telling you names okay that sounds good (laughs) (laughs) so I was I did the Mediterranean season as well as the Caribbean Mm -hmm. um and on this particular boat it was a 135 foot sailing yacht beautiful luxury sailing yacht so we had um, a famous movie actor and his on-off girlfriend and models and it was, it was a pretty rah-rah thing for the week.
0: Wait, 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 wait. He had his on-off girlfriend plus other models, models that were on the. Right. Okay. <laughs> no, they,
1: they weren't all hooking up. Oh, right, okay, they were, they were, okay. They were friends. Oh, okay, friends. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but the on-off girlfriend was being a bit annoying, so he decided that he needed to get away from her and just get some time out. Right. So there were three levels to this yacht and I was on the bottom level where the galley was Right. and I had a long counter in front of me uh, and stools and he came down and he had a bottle of vintage French champagne, two glasses, and he just plonked himself down on the stool and started telling me these really foul, dirty jokes and just <laughs> mucking around and having fun, pouring <laughs> me champagne. And, I mean, this is a guy that I've had a major crush on right. watching his films and now he's sitting across from me. <laughs> And in my in my brain, I'm thinking, I'm on a date with this guy.
0: <laughs> there's champagne. <laughs> yeah. There's a table. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. It was it was amazing. It really yeah. was. Yeah, I mean right. and then she found him and said, you know, come on upstairs. So it was like, I gotta go. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. There was there's many situations like that are quite surreal because you know, you, you do see, especially if you really admire the person, it's, Yes. it's pretty wild to actually be chatting to them and hanging out with them um that that was pretty crazy um i had pete townsend from the who on uh, one of my boats and Mm -hmm. that was amazing um jerry hall mick jaggers ex-wife or girlfriend was on that charter as well um so she'd come to the table every night dressed in couture evening wear and everyone else was in shorts and (laughs) (laughs) t-shirts Um, and, and the funny thing on that trip was that um, I think it was the first time that she'd been away from uh, her kids. So Nick right. was back, taking kind of overseeing the kids. Mm-hmm. So he would periodically ring the boat, and we we worked out pretty quickly that if a call was coming in, it was probably him. Right. So the six crew would race to grab the phone and be like, you know, "Hello, Lone Star." <laughs>
0: <laughs> hi, this is Mick Jagger. <laughs> oh, hi,
1: <yeah. laughs> But Pete Townsend, he'd do sing along some nights, so we'd wow. all be singing along and it was just a- another out-of-body experience, you know, like, oh, this is kind of cool. Wow.
0: We, yeah. We often surprised how down-to-earth, ho- hopefully down-to-earth, a lot of these people who had high yeah. profiles were. Right.
1: Yeah, and it, it, I would say... Bar one person who I can't name. Yes. Um, she's a famous singer, that's all I'll say. Okay. But uh, everybody else was absolutely lovely and they just wanted to relax and have a nice time and, and not worry about anything. Mm. And, yeah, they were fine. They were good.
0: It is good to hear. Um, yeah. I think I think if we had a glass of champagne together, I think you'd tell me a lot more stories, which would be even better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so... I really want to get into how – I really want to get into your projects you've been working on, but before I get into that, I want to talk about, like, how did COVID affect you? Like, you were obviously – were you working in the British Islands or the Mediterranean, like, during that time? And, like, what what was the scenario that happened?
1: Oh, my God, it was insane. So I was actually on charter. This was, like, late March of last mm, year, mm-hmm. and I got a a, a message from a, a friend in Sydney, and he was saying – are you coming back to Australia? And I was like, no, why? (laughs) This is kind of early stages of it. Mm -hmm. We were aware of it, but we didn't think anything much of it, especially where we were because it was business as usual. Charters were happening. Everything was open. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then he said, "Just, just check with the Australian consulate in your area. So I did. I I got on the phone and I rang the head of the consulate in Barbados and he was like, yeah, I think you need to go home. Wow. So I thought I'll just call the one in Washington and they said the same thing. They said, look, my plan every year was normally to come back in August, spend three months in Australia, which is what I do generally every year. Mm -hmm. But they said, and they had great forward thinking. They were like, look, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if you'll get out of where you are and whether you'll get into Australia. So if you can, go now. So I got off the phone and I rang the owners of the yacht that were in the States and said, "Um, I'm really sorry, but I'm leaving to go to Australia as soon as possible. And and they were fine. They said, Mm. do what you need to do, told the crew and managed to rebook my flights. And then that was due to fly out on Tuesday. I got a text on my phone on the Sunday saying that all the borders to the British Virgin Island were closed, both airport and sea, no way out you're stuck, you can't go. I was freaking out. And then literally maybe two hours later, I got another text to say they've opened it just until Monday. So then I had to rejig my flights. Got to Puerto Rico, everywhere I went from Puerto Rico, North Carolina, Dallas, LA. My flights were being cancelled all the way along because there were just, nobody was flying. So they were cancelling flights. Wow. I was like, I don't think I'm even going to get out of the States. Yeah, But I managed to get, out of L.A. and back into Brisbane. Uh, and I quarantined in a hotel, even though this was before you even had to quarantine anywhere um, except self-isolate. Mm. But I was coming to stay with mom and I thought, look, I've been through the States. Who knows what I might have picked up, so it's just right. safe to do it. Yeah. And that's, that's yeah. how I got here. we <laughs> Pretty crazy adventure.
0: <laughs> yeah, what a ride. Um, yeah. That's that's pretty insane. Uh, luckily, like during the, during the podcast, um, the last – obviously the last 12 months we've heard some really weird stories um, about people getting back home and they have been overseas, two or three of our guests have been overseas and then, you know, getting back home and I remember one of our guests like paying, um, paying a couple of German tourists um, flights back to Germany to get in the front of the line in a wow. South American airport in order to get home and, and wow. otherwise he wouldn't have got home to Sydney and it was just – just an incredible story. I can't, I can't even imagine, you know, that period of time for me being overseas. So, I'm um, look, I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're home. Yes. Um, so, you know, you've got home, you you're in Brisbane. Um, what are you then thinking you're going to do? Like yachts in your life? Um, you've obviously yeah. got a lot of projects on the side that you've been working on, which I really want to discuss, but what did you sort of do when you first, you know, got your feet on land in Brisbane?
1: Yeah. Well, in those two weeks that I was sitting in the hotel room, <laughs> I started thinking, okay, think Lisa. I'm What I've always been good at doing is thinking on my feet quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I knew that the cookbook was already planning to come out. So I, yep. I had focus for that. Yes. And then I thought. I had done cooking workshops on the boat that I boats that I've I've cooked on, where mm. I would have the guests do cooking workshops. So I thought, well, maybe I can just do that. I can start with that. So mm-hmm. I started working on the process of setting up cooking workshops in a commercial kitchen in Brisbane. Right, uh, and then I also thought, well, I've got a huge client base of Americans overseas maybe I could look at doing live Zoom cooking classes. So right. I, I started doing that, mm-hmm. and uh, that's sort of been my bread and butter, so to speak, um, while I've been getting the uh, the commercial kitchen up and running. And then I thought, oh, I'm really missing being on the water. How can I get that back <laughs> into my life? Mm. And I connected with a yacht that I'd worked on years ago in Sydney Um, They had new owners, but they were keen to um, partner with me on this idea of these indulgence charters. Wow. Which is basically what I was doing overseas. Um, Guests come on board for the day and they get cooking workshops from me. They can have spa treatments. They can have live jazz or classical music. So there's a list of things they can Mm -hmm. decide what they want in advance. Oh, cool. I hooked up with the boat in Sydney and also at Southport. Here in uh, at the coast, mm-hmm. um, eighty-six foot motor yachts. So I've wow. sort of got my foot back in the water in that respect as well.
0: Yeah, has it has it been? Um, it's obviously been a really challenging time, as it has for everyone. But has it has it has it bred? Have those you know new challenges about doing you know Zoom activities and and doing different kind of charter boats and that kind of stuff? Like, has it has it bred some excitement back into you Absolutely. again? Obviously, I can't imagine you ever being bored in the Caribbean or Mediterranean on a yacht, but like, um, but is it, has it given you a new challenge and new lease on life in a way?
1: It it has a hundred percent. You know, I'm incredibly lucky that I am here in Australia because Mm. for a long time, things had shut down overseas. Um, The islands were, you know, closed to tourism. So I would have literally been without a job. Yes. Um, And yeah, coming back to Australia was the smartest thing that I ever did. Um, and and I'm loving all these new opportunities. Mm -hmm. Um, Just as a side gig, as most chefs do, I create artwork as well. For years I've painted and exhibited and sold my art. Yes, I've heard about this. Let's (laughs) talk
0: about this because this is very, very interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I I had all these paintings uh, that I'd taken photographs of over the years. Okay. And I worked out that I could find a company in the states that I could um, superimpose the digital image of my artwork onto their products, right. and then sell them internationally. So <laughs> I I have a steady flow of work coming through from doing that. All I have to do is you know post some stuff up on social media, and then I get orders for whatever it might be, tote bags or yoga pants or swimsuits. And wow, um, it's just, you know, my artwork on their products. And then on top of that, I've been lucky enough to keep getting commissions both here in Australia of my paintings and also overseas. So it's wow. it's great. It's given me a nice balance of art and food.
0: Yeah, which, which I think is um, something I've been thinking a lot about the last year is this uh, a bit like how you talked about in the charter yachts in, in, in Sydney and in, in Southport. Um, this intersection again between like high luxury service based stuff like um, you know um, beauty beauty products and all those kind of things um, music you're obviously talking about art which is which in a sense food is right and like any yeah. good chef like it is a, it is a form of artistic expression expression it's just on a plate um, so yeah that's that's really really wow I've never met an artist before on the show so that's a that's a new oh. first. Uh, are they paintings? Are they what kind of things do you work in?
1: I, I use, I actually use uh, exterior house paint from Bunnings <laughs> <laughs> because it's less expensive than art supply shops.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is awesome. And the
1: colors don't fade because it's exterior house paint.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. That's really, that's very smart.
1: <laughs> well, I, I started using that type of paint when I was working in the British Virgin Islands doing my artwork because, um, the art supply shops that that because they'd had to bring the stuff in from the States or wherever it was super expensive. Super expensive. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, well, how can I get paint like really good colors and a big variety? And then I went to the local paint factory and they were like, we can give you samples of all these colors. And it was like, great. So yeah, (laughs) a lot less expensive and the colors are incredible. Um, Yeah. So uh, what do I paint? I paint, Lots of things right now. I'm into lots of native Australian flowers, mm-hmm. um, birds. Overseas, I did lots of fish because I dive and I snorkel a lot. So I'm obsessed with coral and and the fish, wow. people, yeah, it, all that sort of stuff. Um, I guess just tropical style of uh, it's it's some of it's abstract and some of it's realist. It's a bit of both. Do you
0: think that comes from being being in nature so much and just you—you you obviously see a lot of things that people, you know, don't see. You're not—you're not like a chef who's cooking, you know, on Chapel Street in Melbourne. Like you're—you're you're out all the time. Yes. Um, must be a, it must be just a privilege to do that kind of stuff. I know there'd be a lot of challenges around it, but it must be a lot of privileges in that too.
1: It it is, um, and you're right. The inspiration is definitely where I've worked. Mm. Um, in fact, I would I would say. I would almost say 70% of my yacht chef friends overseas are all painters. Wow. All sculptors. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and they're really amazing. Watercolors, acrylics, oil. I mean, beautiful work. Right. I, I, I just, I guess it just flows together. Um, yeah. yeah. My The guy that I went over with originally is a sculptor and a chef. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's sort of. I don't know how that works. Do you, do you do any type of artwork yourself?
0: Oh, thanks for asking. Um, no, I don't. Um, my my. It's not very often that people ask me the question, uh, Liz. Um, no, I don't. My grandfather was fantastic, um, but he was never in hospitality. But he was a fantastic um, oil painter, like of scenery uh-huh. and that kind of stuff. So, so my heritage is from uh, is from Holland, and uh-huh. and um, so there's a lot of. Um, water um and that kind of stuff that he would um he would paint and then when they came to Australia uh sort of in the fifties um it, that changed into a lot of um uh like obviously Australian landscape stuff but he was he was exceptional. Very, very good. So
1: you never tried to see if you've got your your grandfather's genetics?
0: No, my fa- my sister is fantastic. Um she um, hasn't uh, should have gone further with it, and I think she'd be she's very very good in artistic flair, um, but no, I think my my creativity comes from um, uh, comes from food more than more than art. I know I know where my um, <laughs> where I'm strongly, so Yes, <laughs> um, let's. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about the book that's going to come out soon. Um, when we when we release this in April, like it'll be very very um, um at the same time, I believe. Um, obviously, but I want to talk about the cooking shows as well because obviously you've had um a lot of episodes online, uh with Gally Gourmet. Did, yes. Did a lot of that work, and I and I've watched a lot of it, and it's fantastic stuff. <laughs> and it did a lot of that um allow inspiration for the books. Or what's happened? How did that sort of come about?
1: The book came more from my charter guests. Interesting. Because they were all, every, almost all charters, they would say during or towards the end, can we buy your cookbook? Right. And I'd say, well, I don't have one. you <laughs> should make one. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I, I thought, gosh, if I'd started that 26 years ago, I would have been a lot better off. <laughs> And it was a great, they were the inspiration really to encourage me to to do it. Uh, Mm. And then it was the perfect base of working out what recipes would be best in the cookbook. Okay. Uh, Because I chose the most popular ones over the years that people, you know, consistently really loved and talked about, so that was easy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the type of food that I do, because I've travelled a lot and because my clients enjoy food from everywhere, it, it sort of covers all nationalities mm. um, and obviously all types of dietary requirements whether it's vegan vegetarian gluten-free that sort of thing mm-hmm. um, so yeah I've, I've been very lucky that I've I've had a base t- to deal with to, to get that concept in my mind and also um, I think with this book I've had to adjust the recipes that I did on land to work on a boat yes and simplify them because of the space and the time that constraints that i had mm-hmm. um so that works really well with you know home chefs that have just come home from work and they don't have that much time to fuss around but they mm. still want to make something yummy and tasty mm-hmm. um, so these recipes are good for that that's awesome do you- fine dining made easy
0: i like that fine dining made easy we're gonna use that in the promotion of the podcast um <laughs> do you do you find because I'm thinking about like your career versus someone who's working in a, a standalone venue, right, as a chef. Do you, do you think you've got potentially a lot more skill or just different skills for the pure fact that, you know, you listed off things like, you know, veganism, gluten-free, um, you know, I imagine you do a lot of sugar-free, some weird diets of people who come on your ship. Um where you have to not just change one dish, but change eight days worth of dishes. So it's not like it's not like a chef working in a normal venue where they get annoyed because someone's gluten intolerant or they get annoyed because someone doesn't want, you know, avocado in a sauce, you know, and, and that person goes away after an hour. Like this person is with you for eight days. So like, yep. do you think do you think that's made you a better chef and a and a better variety, a variety of things that you can produce because of that reason?
1: Probably. I think, um, yeah, you're, you're a bit more stilted in in, mm. a, in a restaurant environment. You sort of have more of a set menu that you're working with. And yes, it changes periodically. But yep. like you said, for me, it every week is different. And mm. maybe even during the week, it's different. Um, so you really have to broaden your understanding of different cuisines and different diets. I mean, um, Americans, I love to pieces. Yes. But whatever the latest fad is they're on it yes <laughs> and they know about it it seems before anybody else does and yeah. so you really have to be constantly learning which mm. is a good thing I mean, yeah it's, it's not a bad thing
0: yeah I, I think most of you know most of most of worldwide trend comes out of you know california chicago and new york right so i think yeah. um and london obviously so i think um yeah it's a very very interesting how it's going to change i think uh, moving you know past the pandemic and how people are going to Um, continue to eat like are they going to eat differently like or they're going to go back to you know sort of a changed approach like they were before pandemic and riding on the new wave I suppose as we just said a couple of questions before I let you go Lisa Um, I'd really like to know like when everything dies down and we get some tourism normality again and, and I've had people from the tourism industry you know um especially in Asia who control a lot of, you know, the movement of travel in Asia and that kind of stuff being on the podcast. And they've talked to me about how they don't think that 2019 numbers pre-pandemic are going to get to anywhere near until sort of mid-2022. So so let's fast forward to 2022 potentially. Do you, do you think you'll go back to yachts in the Caribbean and Mediterranean or now that you've been back home in Brisbane uh, for a little bit, like do you, do you think you're going to stay in Brisbane for a bit longer?
1: I think uh, there is one other thing that I haven't mentioned that mm-hmm. uh, I've also done, and that is creating a introduction to chefing on yacht course, which was picked up by the university in the British Virgin Islands. Wow. Um, so <laughs> just another thing to <laughs> add in there. How are
0: you doing all this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> so
1: They've oh. created some kind of hybrid system where uh, it's called Moodle um, and you can it's a teaching platform that you can do online. Okay. But part of my course needs to be done in person. So I'll need to go back at least just to teach the instructors how to do this course. Right. Um, so maybe a few months back there. But, um, yeah, the plan is to kind of kickstart things here in Australia and, and move forward in that direction, um, I think.
0: Wow. How exciting. Um, the The question I always leave every guest on, um, at the moment, uh, is, is what are you looking forward to both professionally and personally in 2021, uh, and beyond Lisa?
1: Um, I think, well, professionally, um, I'm really excited with all these projects that mm. I have going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I have this little dream of creating a, um, a pilot of, uh, galley gourmet with chef Lisa based around the Sundays. So, nice. um, using a boat and doing something similar. So that's sort of a little dream that I have in the background as well. That's great. Um, And then personally-wise, I started learning the piano at the beginning of this COVID thing. So I'd really like to to get to a point where I can actually play some music without looking at a screen and tap dancing. I've always wanted to learn to tap dance. (laughs)
0: Oh god, I think I need to lie down after just listening to everything that you're you're involved with. You just made me feel incredibly lazy, so um, that's fantastic. I need to go paint something. I think I've after this podcast, um, Lisa. To, to say today has been a joy is an understatement. It's been really good to um, understand your career and really learn some valuable insights into how people can um, move. Really, in an excited way through their career, and do different things. and I think that's what um, good hospitality careers are they' they're they are um, colorful, they are not just gray and and you can make you can pretty much just make your own opportunities and I think that's what today's podcast has really shown. Um, what's the best way that people can connect with you, Lisa, because I know a lot of people are going to want to after this podcast goes out.
1: Yeah, thank you for that. Um, Probably the best and easiest way is to go to lisamead.com, L-I-S-A-M-E-A-D.com. That that Mm -hmm. covers everything. All the stuff we've talked about Mm -hmm. is virtually on that website.
0: Fantastic. I'll make sure I link that up in the show notes. Thank you. Chef Lisa Mead, thank you so much for your time.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.